Well, uh, like many of you, as I can see today, you have added uh, a piece of attire to yourself. Like I have. Uh, it's called a mask, right? Anybody? Got a mask on and you've had to figure this out. You never thought you would be picking out what color of a mask that you would like to put on your face or what style or preference that you had until the last six months. Amen? Uh, this is new for all of us, new for me. And for me, just like probably many of you, I've had to find the right kind of mask. Like the right one that's, that's comfortable but also protects. Like the one that I look good in. Come on but also like actually protects me from COVID, right? Because you know those kind of two different things. So uh, my, my wife uh, just recently was kind enough to get me a, a mask with a big star on the front of it, a Dallas Cowboys mask. God's team, so it's a holy mask, right? Amen. But, but it's not just a holy mask. Like I like wearing the mask. And so uh, football season starting today. Praise Jesus. Hallelujah. Come on. Somebody say amen for that. Uh, there's hope in the world. Football season is starting. And I've been wearing my mask, and, and what I forget is what uh, is on my mask, this giant cowboy star. And so a couple weeks ago, I was in that zone, just kind of going through the store, checking out with the cashier, and I, I wasn't thinking about I have a big fat cowboy star on my mask, but the cashier was. And he says to me as I'm checking out, how about them cowboys? And I said, yeah, how, how about them? Exciting season. And he's like, yeah, and he starts, he gets really excited about some players that he knows and some, some coaches, some defensive coaches he's really stoked about for this season. And, and, and what he starts to talk about, and I start to notice, is that a couple of the players he mentions, they don't play for the team anymore. And a couple of the coaches that he's super stoked about their scheme, they don't coach for our team anymore. And now, I don't just have a Cowboys mask, I have a Cowboys debit card. I got issues, so I pray for your pastor. And so I know the discrepancies in the coaches and the players, right? And, and so I start to, I didn't judge them in the moment, like call them out. I just, by God's grace, I left the, the place with my Cowboys mask on. But I, but I thought about, you know, there's a difference between being familiar with something and having intimate knowledge of something. And you guys know this, there's, there's things that you really love in life and you're talking to somebody else and you're like, they're like, oh yeah, like I watched that show too, but they, but they get the characters' names wrong and you're like, what's wrong with you? Like The Office is the best show ever. Like how do you not know all the specific characters? But and you, get, you don't say that, but you cut privately, you judge them and you think that. And we all know like with anything in life, a show, a team, any person in life, there's a difference between being familiar with something and having intimate, up-close, personal knowledge of something. Well, today we're starting a new series called Beloved, and it's a series in the book of 1 John, and it's written by John, the disciple of Jesus, the beloved disciple of Jesus, as we see in John 21. John is the same author who wrote the, the gospel of John, the same person who was a disciple, uh, one of Jesus' closest disciples, the one he spent the most time with, he, he walked with, did ministry with. John saw Jesus do all kinds of miracles. He was right next to him. Right? He didn't just read about Jesus in a textbook. He didn't just visit a museum about Jesus and history. John was with Jesus. He had intimate, personal, up-close knowledge of Jesus. He was there when he died. He was there when he rose again. He saw the nail-scarred hands. He touched them. That was John, the beloved disciple of Jesus. But here's what's so amazing about John. John didn't take this beloved title and, and, and get, let it get to his head. 
John didn't just embrace the title of beloved and think, well, I'm so great, like, nice to meet you, I'm the beloved. That, that wasn't what John did. No, John didn't just embrace the title of beloved, he extended it to others. And we see that in the book of 1 John, that 46 times John says the word love, love. He wants other people to know, hey, you are loved like I am loved. You are dearly loved like I am dearly loved. Five times, he specifically uses that word beloved. He addresses his audience in the book of 1 John. He calls them the beloved, just like he was the beloved. Nine times, he uses the word children because John is no longer a young man walking with Jesus and sons of thunder. If you've heard those stories about John, John's no longer that man. John, scholars think, is between 80 and 90 years old. So picture John the grandpa, who's at the end of his life. And again, he's not citing textbooks or a dream he had about Jesus. He is reciting and and explaining his life with Jesus, alongside with Jesus. And so that's the book of 1 John. And he's going to get into all things about Jesus. He's a light in darkness. He is love, and there's no fear in love. And he's perfect love. And he's going to talk about what that means for our lives. But at first, I want you to see that John had an up-close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And here's the reality. Today, as we look at the book of 1 John, Grandpa John, he's sitting down with you right now. And he's inviting you into that same relationship. It's not only a love embraced, it's a love extended, and it's extended to you. So right now, as we join in person in this room, right now, some of you tune in over YouTube or online, we're not just at a worship gathering or an online service, we are experiencing an opportunity over the next several weeks and today, an opportunity to get to know Jesus up close, personal, and intimate. That's what we're stepping into in this series and today, all right? So 1 John is where we're going to be. Grab a Bible and go there with me so you can see it for yourself. 1 John 1, 1 through 4. We're just going to read these few verses and break this down. 1 John 1, 1 through 4, it says this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest, and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ, and we are writing these things to you so that our joy may be complete. If you take notes, our first point, the first thing we're going to see about Jesus, as, as John shows us this personal, intimate look of Jesus, is that Jesus is eternal. Look at that first verse with me. How does it start? That which was from the beginning. Now, we're going to get into that, but did you notice that John starts this book different than most books of the Bible? Where's the introduction? Did you pick up on that? Where's the greeting like John, an apostle, coming to you, greetings, and send them to somebody else that you can't pronounce, and all these names. Where is that? What you're going to see as we read the book of 1 John and go through this series, is that John reads less like a letter, more like a sermon. John's got something to say. Like, he's ready, he's urgent to say it, and, and in fact, he's so urgent to say it, verses 1 through 3, there's no period. Do you see that? It's just a long run-on sentence. And grammar students, he doesn't even get to the subject and the verb till the end of those three verses. He's just talking about the object. 
He's just talking about Jesus. He's just talking about that which was from the beginning. He starts where all of creation starts with Jesus Christ. He's trying to show you and and give you a picture. The Gospel of John, we we know Jesus walked with John and all those things. He's trying to give you a picture. Hey, Jesus was before those times. Jesus wasn't just a baby in a manger. Jesus didn't just walk around healing people. Jesus was but from before time, the very beginning, he was first. He was that which was from the beginning. Now, John may get a C in grammar, but he gets an A in theology. I know some of y'all are new, some of you are new, checking this out online, watching on YouTube. We're so glad that you're here. The fall is officially kicking off. Labor Day is over. It's the weirdest fall ever. I know that is true. But the fall is kicking off still, and I know some of you are new, and you need to know what John is saying to you, that Jesus is first. That a lot of people think of Christians right now, and think of churches right now, and even think of Jesus right now, and they think about something else than that which was from the beginning, the eternal Jesus, all-powerful, the one who did come and walk among us and died and resurrected on our behalf. That a lot of people right now in our culture, they're not thinking about that Jesus. They're thinking about the Jesus that's Republican or Democrat, that pushes their side or agenda, that, that Jesus would wear a mask or he wouldn't. And they're putting Jesus in all these circumstances. And John, by the way, is telling you, Jesus isn't in, doesn't fit in your circumstances, doesn't fit in your box. He was from the beginning. He predates time. Before the earth was created that he enters into in the incarnation, Jesus existed. Before there was America, Jesus existed. Before there was Republican and Democrat, Jesus existed. And he reigned powerfully. Amen? John's got something to say. He doesn't have time for an introduction. He doesn't have time for a period. He's preaching a sermon, and he's painting a picture of you. Hey, look beyond these categories. Look beyond these circumstances and see the creator of the universe. His name's Jesus Christ. He's broadening your picture of him right off the bat as we get to know Jesus up close, intimately, personally. Some of you, you need to broaden your view of him. Some of you have put him in a box of your political side or agenda. You've put him in a box of your fear or your emotions. You've put him in a box of your perspective, and he won't fit in that box. He's from the beginning. He's eternal. And, And it's not just first, like first in order. It's not just that he was from the beginning like he was first in order, like in sequence. It was first in order and sequence, but also in preeminence. We see this in Colossians chapter 1 that it says that Jesus was before all things so that he would be preeminent, that he was first so that he would be first. You track with me? He, He was first in order so he would be first place in the universe, first place in our lives, that he would be the first lens through which we see all of life. He would be the first influence over our thought, word, and deed. He would be first that everything else Everything else in your life, every ideology, every information, every news channel, every upbringing in your family, every personality, whatever number you are on the Enneagram, that's down here. Jesus is up here. He's the first, not just in sequence, but in preeminence, and he should be that way in our lives. So as John says, that which is from the beginning, you're meant to to think about, is he that in my life? Is he first in my life? Now, 
Here's my concern in 2020. Six months into a quarantine, longer than that into a global pandemic, is that for many of us right now, a lot of other things have become first in our lives functionally. That we are operating, many of us are operating, not as Jesus is, is first in order and first in preeminence and first in priority. We're operating as if things like a pandemic are first. And, and that at one point, that many of us, we, we thought, okay, I'm going to be safe. I'm going to be responsible. I'm going to love my neighbors. And so I'm going to operate according to this pandemic in that way. But at some point, that pandemic moved above Jesus and moved above everything else. And, and now it's no longer about being safe or loving your neighbors. It's about self-preservation. It's about apathy. It's about fear. It's about anxiety. And some of you look at me. If you're honest, you watching at home, if you're honest right now, if you just assess your heart, what do you spend all your time thinking about? What's the first, the preeminent, the priority in your morning? Is it scrolling and clicking through to some fear-driven, outrage-ridden, anxiety-inducing, polarizing news source? Is that your first? Is that your first moment of the day? Is that every free moment of the day? Could it be that the pandemic has become first over and above Jesus? Is that what's informing and affecting your thoughts, words, and deeds? Listen, I love you. And, and if you've gotten to that place and you put the pandemic in first place, I love you. That is robbing you of your relationship with your Savior. That's robbing you of your relationship with the people of God. It's robbing you because only Jesus can handle being first place in your life. Only Jesus should be the first thing we wake up and think about. Only Jesus should, should take our every free moment. And we should be safe and we should be healthy and we ask you to wear a mask. But don't get me wrong, Jesus is first, not a pandemic. Are you living like that? For some of us, it's not the pandemic. Maybe you're like, mask, ah, I think this will all be over by November. You've said that. Like, we're, we're saying all these things. Like, maybe for you, it's not the pandemic. You're like, hey, I'm good with that. Like, it's okay. It's all going to pass. I've been through a lot in my life. But, you know, this, this political season, this hashtag, I mean, the one you use, this has become first. Your cause has become first. And if you're honest, it's become first, preeminent over Jesus. Because, again, the same thing. The first thing you wake up, what are you thinking about? When somebody says a trigger word to you, what rises up within you? What is the first thing that's dictating your thoughts, your words, and your deeds? I was just talking to somebody this morning, and I had to give a caveat when I said, I want my kids to go back to school. And I had to make sure that person knew, like, I mean, I believe the pandemic is real. I believe in physical health. I want my kids to be safe, but I also want their social health because I knew if I would step into one of those camps, I was hating on the other camp. Come on, somebody. I, I was stepping into a polarizing moment. Why? Because a priority has been placed on a political agenda, on a side, on emotions, over and above Jesus. And some of you, again, at first, it was just like, well, no, I'm gonna, a responsible citizen, like, citizen, vote. I, I just want to be involved in active social justice, like, cause. I just politically, I, like, I'm just going to go protest. I'm just going to go protest against the people who are protesting. 
Man, I'm just, I'm just doing my right thing as a citizen. And at some point, maybe it was that, but at some point, just without you really realizing in that political agenda, that cause, that hashtag, it moved up the ladder, and it now has become first and preeminent in your life. And listen, that's just not robbing you of your relationship with God and with other people, with his church. That is robbing you of your closest relationships in your life, right? your spouse, your kids, Because when you come home at night, you're not investing into them. You're not embracing the love of Jesus like John talks about and extending it to the people who are closest to you. You're ranting about a Facebook post you wrote or read. You ain't got time to invest in your spouse. You have more preeminent things to do. You got a cause you got to push out. You got a hashtag you got to raise. um, You got to raise some stuff about. I was going to say raise hell. That's not... uh, appropriate. Um, But that's the way you feel. You ain't got time to invest in your spouse and your kids. Listen, I'm a pastor. I talk to a lot of people, not just in our church, but in other churches, family. I'm I'm a pastor. So uh, for my family, I'm not just like the son or the nephew. I'm the pastor. (laughs) When I went home this summer, it was like, hey, Tim and Jaya, you're here. So go fix all these people, right? Just give you behind the scenes into my life. So I talk to a lot of people, And I believe a lot of people are struggling in their marriage, in their mind, with their mental health, in their relationships, because they have allowed a political agenda that may be fine and good, a hashtag that may be important. They've allowed that to not just be important, but to be preeminent. Is that you today? Listen, as a pastor, I love you. As your pastor, I love you. Watching online, I love you. Sometimes you need to put the phone away. Why? To show that that Christ is preeminent. Sometimes when you wake up in the morning, you don't need to click or scroll. You don't need to banter with somebody. You don't need to read your your favorite outrage-driven news source and get all riled up. Like Sometimes you need to put that to the side to show that Jesus is first and foremost above those things, to show that the primary lens, the first lens, is that which was from the beginning, and that that's true in your life, that you see life through Jesus' eyes, not through that hashtag, not through that cause, not through that political lens. One of our elders was uh, at my house the other day. We had a community group, and he was saying, hey, I think maybe it'd be a good idea to like fast from social media, and I was like, yeah, that's a great idea, till the election, he said. And, uh, and he said, no, no, I think it may be a good idea to, like, tell the whole church to do that. <laughs> I think it may be, like, a good edict to come down from you, the pastor. And so I was like, why don't you? You're an elder. Why don't you say it? Right? Why don't we fast? Yeah, why don't we fast from? I, I don't know if you need to do that, but you need to assess. Is, is, is social media first in your life or is Jesus? What do you spend your time walking around the house talking about? What do you spend all your effort and energy on? Is it writing a post or is it prayer? Does it even measure up? Like the energy that some of y'all are putting to your post, if you put that to your prayer life, Jesus would come back. Come on. Some of y'all may need to remove some things in your life like social media. Why? Because they're up too high and Jesus is down here. You need to remove them and pull them down. And for some of you, that's social media. For some of you, that's your favorite news channel, Fox News, CNN. For some of you, you need to get a newspaper. Like, find out if they still make them. Get it delivered to your house. Right? Call up a friend and listen to their story. 
instead of reading lines written by them on a screen. And some of us, we need to remove some things in 2020 so we can show that which was from the beginning is the beginning of everything we do in our lives. He's first. Not just in sequence, but in priority and preeminence. If you call yourself a believer in Jesus, you should be assessing right now in your heart, in your mind, what do I need to remove so that Jesus can be first truly in my life? Uh, The amazing thing about Jesus is that he's not just eternal, he is accessible. And the beautiful thing about Christianity is we don't have to just remove some stuff from our lives. Some of you are thinking, remove social media, Tim. Why are you attacking me personally? Like, you're going to take the one thing, the one thing I can veg out and, like, just kind of get on a screen and just veg out? Like, you're going to take that from me? I'm not just going to take that from you. I'm going to replace it with something better. His name is Jesus. It's getting to know Jesus in a personal, up-close, and intimate way. Notice, look at the verses again with me, verses 1 and 2. How does John describe his relationship with Jesus? He says, it's something I've heard. I've seen, he says that twice. I've touched, twice he says God was made manifest. That means to put something on display for everyone to see. Don't miss that. God was made manifest to you, clearly known to you. He came down to you. He became visible to you. Christianity, again, I know some of us are new, we're new to the fall and kind of coming back to church. And Christianity at its core, it's not reaching up for a mysterious God. It's that mysterious God has made himself known clearly in the personal work of Jesus Christ. And John says that about Jesus. He's manifest himself. The eternal became accessible, historical, verifiable. That's what it means when it says they looked upon Jesus. You notice the difference between see twice and looked upon? Looked upon is investigating, examining, Looked upon is what the disciples did when, when they saw Jesus resurrect from the grave. And in Luke 24, Jesus says to his disciples, see my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. I got to look upon, investigate. Thomas got to put his hands in, in Jesus' nail-scarred hands. They looked upon, it was up close, personal, it was accessible. The eternal became accessible, historical, verifiable. John says, we, you notice that? Over and over he says, we, 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 we write these things to you. He's talking about the other apostles, the other disciples, all of those who got to see and touch and hear and look upon Jesus. The 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that over 500 people got to do that with the resurrected Jesus, the one who beat death. The one who took out the sting of death that we sing about. The one who overcame the world that we quote. They got to see him and look upon him and touch him. He was made manifest. The eternal became accessible and historical and verifiable and reliable. That's the Jesus that John is so fired up about that he doesn't have time for a period. He's preaching a sermon to you. Which, by the way, Jesus, historical, verifiable, accessible. If you want to start a cult, if you're thinking about that, don't, right? But if you were to think about starting a cult, like, don't do it this way. 
Don't put eyewitnesses at the scene. Don't build your whole testimony around historical, verifiable, reliable facts. Don't say that 500 people saw Jesus, the resurrected Christ. Don't say that. Why? Because people can test that. They can disprove that. They can go talk to those people and say, "Uh uh-uh, it didn't happen. If you want to start a cult, no, here's what you do. You do something that's not seen, that, that wasn't touched, that wasn't looked upon. You do something that's not verifiable, reliable, historical. You say, I had a dream or I had a vision. Like, like many of our other religions that we do call cults, like how they started. You want to start a cult 101, cult 101, you didn't know you were going to get that today. You do it that way. You don't do it the way the Christians did it in the New Testament. You don't do it the way John is doing it. I was thinking about this week with uh, Friday being 9-11 and that phrase that we say, and, and all of us probably said it on Friday, never forget, right? And I was thinking about why, why is it so, like, never forget, and we're all just like, we won't forget that. Like, we really believe that. Why is it that way? And it's because of this, is that most of us in this room and watching it online, some of us, I can see, are younger, and maybe you were born after 2001. God bless you. <laughs> most of us, though, we, we saw what happened. Some of you were in New York, and you saw up close and personal what happened. All of us can remember. We don't forget. We can remember. Like, I remember in my apartment, my college roommate coming out, and we were watching the news, and I was like, something else is on the news. Outrage-driven, anxiety-induced news. Even back then, it was, it was that way. And something else is on the news, and I just kind of flippantly saw it, and then I, but then I saw some puffs of smoke coming from buildings, And then, of course, later in the day, we saw, you guys remember this? We saw buildings crumble, like live shots. We heard. See, that's what John is describing. John didn't go to a museum. John's not citing a textbook or a dream. John was there. He saw. He touched. Now, imagine this, just to play out that illustration a little bit more. Imagine you saw 9-11, you saw the towers collapse, you saw, you you, you heard those things, but imagine you went back to ground zero, but it wasn't ground zero. No, it was the Twin Towers, resurrected, exactly as they were before, without any blemishes. Imagine if you saw, if you touched, if you looked upon that. That's really what John is talking about, because he didn't just see and touch Jesus while he was alive. He didn't just see and look upon Jesus as he died upon the cross. He saw and he touched Jesus, the resurrected Lord, the one who beat death. He saw him. That's why he's so excited. He experienced up close, intimate relationship with Jesus. That's why this whole book, he's going to not just embrace that, but extend that to everybody else. Listen. As you think about Jesus, look at me. As you think about getting to know Jesus, is your relationship with Jesus like that? Are you just familiar with Jesus? You can state some facts about Jesus. You might get some of the verses wrong, but basically you're trying to be a good Christian. I mean, you don't want to move towards sin. You want to move towards righteousness in general and life, kind of. You want to raise your kids right. Are you just familiar with Jesus? Are you pursuing intimate relationship with Jesus where you're looking upon him, where you're investigating him, where you're examining him, where you're looking at not only the Jesus who lived, 
but the one who died in your place and the one who rose again and beat death. You have access to that Jesus. Are you taking advantage of that access? As you remove some things, remember Jesus is first, you need to remove some things. You need to replace them with getting to know that Jesus because the eternal has been made accessible. What are we waiting on? What, what, what are we waiting on to worship Jesus with everything we have? And Kyle's asking you guys, sing out. I can see it in your faces, even though you have a mask on. And you're like, um, <laughs> I'm a hum, but I'm not going to sing. What are you waiting on? He's given you complete access. What are we waiting on in a global pandemic? Some of us, we've watched movies about this kind of stuff, like global pandemics and mass suffering and, and racial tensions and divides and personal mental health struggles and economic downturns. And we've watched movies about that. And if you're like me, I've watched those movies and I thought, hey, when that happens in my world, in my real world, like then I'm going to get desperate before God. I'm going to fall on my face before God. I'm not going to waste all my time looking on social media any longer. I'm not going to waste all my time with these frivolous pursuits. Like, if that, ha like, one day, like, end times, like, people always ask me, like, is this the end times? I don't know. Only the Father knows, right? I can tell you this. It's hard times. It's desperate times. The scenes you're watching in the movie, they're happening now. What are you waiting for to access Jesus? If we're not going to pray, if we're not going to fast, you think I'll fast when things get serious. Things are serious. Come on. Are you waiting for another shooting, another riot, another protest, another debate? Are you waiting for someone else to unfriend you? Come on, I've been unfriended too. It's okay. It's a safe place. What are you waiting on? The eternal has been made accessible, manifest. You can look upon him. You can pursue him. You can get to know him up close, personal, and intimately. Now is the time for the people of God to cry out to God. Amen? There's not a time later on for that. Now is the time. Because look at me. We can't fix all the stuff. And the person we elect in November, he can't either. He can't fix the racial divide. He can't fix the riots. He can't fix the shootings. He can't fix the fires. We can't either. He can't. God can. God can heal. And he does that. Here's how he does it. He does it in us and then through us, through the church. One of my favorite preachers is a guy named Tony Evans, and he says it this way. He says, hey, if change is going to happen, it's not going to start in the White House. It's going to start in the church house. Love that. Amen. Right? It starts with us. As we access Jesus, the eternal made accessible becomes real in our life, and then we live that out in the lives of others. The eternal has been made accessible, and he's also been made communal. That's our last point. Look at the text with me just one more time. Notice the communal language that's all over these verses. We've already referenced it a little bit. We see we have heard we have seen, we have looked upon, our eyes, our hands, our joy manifest to us fellowship with us that the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. It's meant to be lived with an us that God is creating in us. Notice the word John uses. He says fellowship. Now, when I think of fellowship just the way I grew up, I thought about potluck. I don't know if you grew up like I did. Well, we're going to have some fellowship with one another. 
That meant there was a big table with everybody's favorite casserole. Come on. But fellowship goes a little bit deeper than that. In the original language, it's this word koinonia. It means shared life. It's not just a relationship, a casual friendship. It's a shared life. And what's beautiful about what John says is we have a shared life with God and his son Jesus Christ, he says, and within us. So this is a shared life shaped by God and Christ. Here's what that means. That fellowship is way more than a potluck. It's way more than that. It's a shared life that that is not only shared between us and God vertically, but it's shared between us and each other horizontally. And that the forgiveness that we experience vertically with God, the righteousness that we are made righteous with God in fellowship with him, that that extends horizontally. So that the church of Jesus Christ is unlike any other organization. The fellowship of Jesus Christ is unlike any Facebook group you're a part of. You may get a free t-shirt with those things. John says you're going to get complete joy with this with this kind of group, with this fellowship. You're going to share life that isn't hindered, that Jesus Christ has banished all bitterness horizontally. Ephesians 2 will tell us he's broken down the walls of hostility. Broken down in a shared fellowship with one another. Jesus is eternal, but he's been made accessible and now he's communal. He's inviting us into relationship with him and to one another. So are you familiar with this Jesus? Like today, like are you just like, yeah, I kind of know that Jesus had come to church and it's time to get back to church and we need to do some different things for our lives. Are you, are you just familiar with that Jesus? Or do you have up close, personal, intimate knowledge of this Jesus? Eternal, accessible, communal. I know for me, for a good chunk of my life, I was familiar with Jesus. I grew up in the church. I knew all about fellowships after church and potlucks because I was in the church all the time. I was very familiar. And at some point, that wasn't enough for me. At some point, the hurt and the suffering I saw in the world, the pain that I experienced myself, that wasn't enough. And I needed something bigger. I needed something deeper. I needed something more up close and personal and intimate. And so when I was in college, I went on a journey to find that. Like many of you, I went on a journey that led me to a lot of wrong places, to a lot of things that I thought would be deeper and more intimate and, and bring that satisfaction and bring that complete joy, and I was still left empty. And so one day, a friend of mine in college, his dad was a pastor. He was very familiar with Jesus as well. And he said to me, hey, Tim, let's go on a mission trip to Romania. And I was like, you don't want me on a mission trip. <laughs> I, I have nothing to offer these people. I'm looking for something. And I went on this mission trip, and I met a kid named Bogdan. He was 19 years old, a Romanian kid. And the first day I talked to him, he said, yeah, I'm kind of familiar with God, like the one who created all things, and yeah, but I don't think you can personally, up close, intimately know that God. Remember, I'm familiar with Jesus, too. I'm like, well, that's a good question. Like, I don't know if you can, Bogdan. (laughs) Worst mission trip person ever, right? Shouldn't have made the team. But I would just go back to my cabin, and I would just open my Bible, but this time in a different way. And I would read these verses that I'd heard, but this time in a different way. And I would pursue that up-close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And I'd come back. I didn't know anything. But I'd come back, and I would share these verses and be like, look, look what God said. <laughs> See, this, this verse, he, he does say we can know him. He does say he lived the perfect life that we could not. He died the death 
in our place that we deserved. He rose again, and he did that for you personally so you could trust him and give your life to him and surrender your all to him. And look at that Jesus. And, and every time I would say that and show him that, I would think, like, he's going to think I'm stupid. He's going to walk out of here. But every time I was like, does that make sense? And he was like, yeah, I think it kind of does. And I was like, really? Because I don't, I don't know if I understand that. But if it makes sense to you, like, we'll call it good. So by the end of that week, I saw a guy who said, I don't know if God's knowable. I don't know if you can have up close, personal, intimate relationship with God. Like, he's out there somewhere. By the end of that week, Bogdan gave his life to that Jesus through me. Bogdan began an up close, intimate, personal relationship with Jesus through someone who didn't understand an up close and personal relationship with Jesus. And what I had to realize, and I realized that when I got back home and I was in a church like this and I was singing a song uh, that talked about light of the world has stepped down into darkness, opened my eyes, let me see. And I remember thinking a few things is one, I don't like this song and Christian songs are so cheesy. <laughs> but then I thought about, that's cheesy, but that's true. You see, God was seeking after me so that I could see. He was opening up my eyes. As I began to think I was doing that for somebody else, God was doing that through me first. He was opening my eyes to this intimate, up-close, personal relationship with Jesus. He was seeking me so that I would finally see and stop being familiar so I could touch, so I could look upon Jesus, the eternal, made accessible, historical, verifiable, so I could worship Jesus and cry out to Jesus and that he would change my life. And so that 20 years later, I could be inviting you into the same thing. In 2020, amidst a pandemic, amidst a racial divide, amidst mental health issues, amidst a room where we all have a mask. That, by the way, you guys pick some great masks. They look, they look fantastic on you. But God sought me so that I would see, so that he could seek you through me so that you would see today. That's the opportunity. Not just in 1 John, that's the opportunity today. We're not just at a worship service, an online deal. This is an opportunity for you in the midst of everything that's going on in our world. To, if you need to, in the next song we sing, and I know we're running behind it, I don't care. If you need to, we'll go a little bit long. We don't have two services till the 27th, so I have freedom right now. If you need to, in the next song we sing, we're not constrained by time today. Maybe you need to get face down. And again, all the movies, you, when everything gets really bad, then I'm going to fast and pray and worship with my whole heart. That day is today. That year is 2020. That time is now for you to pursue up-close, personal, intimate relationship with Jesus. And maybe some of you need to do that as we sing. Maybe some of you need to come to an altar Maybe some of you need to grab the hand of your spouse that you haven't been talking to about anything but that Facebook post that you read, and you need to grab her hand, and you need to pray with her. Take that time today. That's why we're here. Online today, put the kid down. Grab your Bible. Pray together as a family. And seek out the God who is seeking you. See him. Look upon him.
That's our opportunity today. Don't miss it, okay? Let's not miss it. Let's seek him together as he has sought us so we can get the complete joy that John describes. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I just thank you for this moment that you are seeking us. You're seeking every heart right now in this room, every heart that is watching online. And God, you are the God who is from the beginning, but you also are the God of today. And you're seeking us, and you see us, and and you're drawing us so that we might see you as first, as the first lens through which we see all of life, our marriage, our, our friendships, our kids. God, you are the first. May we treat you like that. May we treat you like an eternal who became accessible who's communal. May we open up our eyes so that we can see you and be up close and personal and intimate with you. God, I do pray that, God, we, the people of God, would cry out to you, God, for change. God, I pray in the name of Jesus, you would defeat COVID-19. God, I pray in the the name of Jesus that as we get up close and personal with you, as you begin to change us, you would defeat racial tensions and racial divide. You would once again where we can see it right in front of us, across colors, across ethnicities. God, you would once again break down the wall of hostility. In Jesus' name. God, you would once again stir the people of God to be the people of God, not the people of a side, not the people of a favorite news channel, not the people of a favorite blog post but the people of God. You would once again help us to cry out to you and move in us, but also through us. God, you are seeking after us. You've already done, you've already been the eternal, made accessible, become communal. You've already done that. May we just receive it in this moment. May we experience it. God, may your love move in us, but also through us in a powerful way. God, we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.